This podcast is for reference purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. You should always obtain legal advice about your specific circumstances. Hey, is this thing on? Welcome to Maddox on the Mic, a legal podcast presented by Maddox, an independent Australian law firm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Maddox on the Mic. My name is Chris Sharalambis. I am a senior associate here in the Employment, Safety and People team, and I'm joined today by another senior associate in our team, Katie Kossian. Hi, Katie. Hi, Chris. Nice to be here with you, although we're doing it virtually, I guess. Yes, we've come to come to be used to that at this point, I guess. That's true. So today uh, we'll have another edition of our Talking Workplaces podcast. And today on the podcast, we'll be talking about workplace investigations, which is a topic that is close to mine and and, and your hearts. We've had a lot of experience um, throughout our careers um, on the topic of workplace investigations. And there's certainly a lot to talk about uh, in the area, wouldn't you say? I completely agree with you. It definitely seems to be something that is occupying a lot of time for HR managers at the moment. Yeah, and that's right. We often get sort of queries that come up from from clients where they're um, they're met with some sort of workplace issue that's really come to the fore, and um, they've uh, decided that it, it needs some sort of inquiry. Um, and there's lots of sort of decisions that need to be made about what that might look like, what the implications are, and how to actually sort of practically. Uh, take that through. So I thought we could spend some time today talking about some of those points. That sounds good. And I guess the first uh, question that you might want to ask is when to investigate and why? Mm. And there might be a number of reasons why an employer might need to or want to investigate. Um, One would be because they want to have a look to see what's going on in their business off their own bat. Um, They might otherwise get a complaint from an employee um, that requires some investigation or sometimes the regulator might come to them um, and that might be the driver for an investigation too. Mm. So I guess the the fundamental reason why you'd want to investigate is because you need to make informed decisions about what's going on in your business, Um, you know, mitigate risks of a legal claim, uh, reduce the risk of reputational damage and take corrective action when you need to. And I think the other thing to remember too is that there's no one-size-fits-all approach for for this. Um, Sometimes you might not need an investigation at all. And as a starting point, when you're getting a complaint in, so this is particularly for complaint-driven investigations, it's really important at the triage stage to sort of think about, well, even if, so what? And that's the sort of test that we sometimes recommend people apply at the starting point. So even if everything that is said in this complaint is true, is it a breach of something? Does it yeah. cause some sort of liability that we need to be aware of? And if the answer to that is no, then maybe some other action might be appropriate. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think that, you know, oftentimes, you know, depending on the the nature of the issue that's come up, whether it's an interpersonal issue or a complaint or someone's, you know, triggered a um, uh, a complaints procedure um, uh, in an employer's business, um, sometimes I guess it can be a bit of a knee-jerk reaction and you think, well, we must automatically do a very comprehensive investigation or we must um, involve some external parties or, or take certain prescribed steps. But I think, like you say, Katie, it's just really important just to stop, to take stock at the actual issue at hand and treat, you know, everything on a case-by-case basis because it won't necessarily be, you know, one size fits all. 
That's right. And I, I think so. that's one of the primary considerations when, when you're in receipt of a complaint. Mm. And then I guess the other things that you need to think about as well is, well, you know, what are your policies and procedures say about how mm. you're going to be dealing with, with a complaint? You know, yeah. is there a lot of flexibility or is there a rigid system in place in relation to that? Have you got an enterprise agreement, for example, that has a clause on how you're going to deal with complaints and or handle investigations? Um, and then, you know, there are other considerations like, do you really need to have a formal investigation or can it be dealt with by, you know, some other means? For example, if you've got an interpersonal conflict, yeah. um, would that be better dealt with through a facilitated discussion? And then, you know, there are questions about, well, are you going to deal with it internally or are you going to get an external investigator in to, to run the process for you? Yeah, I think that's a good point. And we can talk about sort of internal versus external in a sec. But I think one thing that comes to mind just when you're sort of going through that process is, I think the other thing just to keep into it, um, to keep in mind, not necessarily to change what you want to do as an employer, but just as a practical consideration, is what does the complainant bring to the table? You know, what what sort of expectations might they have about what process um, you as the employer are going to implement? You know, you might have, like you say, Katie, you know, you know, you might have someone. There might be an interpersonal conflict, and there might be quite sort of heightened emotions that are sort of being brought to the table and there's a, there might mm. be an expectation from from the complainant that you know this is the process that I want and this is what's going to satisfy me and as I say that doesn't necessarily mean that that an employer is going to be bound to that but as a practical consideration about how can we get to an outcome you know that's going to be workable and and um you know, lead lead to you know a, a positive or or, or effective um, uh, change or, or or process moving forward. Um, I think you should take into account at the very least what the expectations are, so that you can at least manage them. I agree, and I think at the same time, sometimes I, I find in in my work in workplace investigations, the process sort of runs away from the employer. But it's always yeah. really important to to remember that it's the employer's process. So mm. they are in the decision-making seat um, and it's important to take into account what the employee would like and what their concerns are and address those. But mm. ultimately, the process is the process of the employer. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it's, it's, it's always important to remember that. So I guess, you know, in, in looking at this question about what the process, one of the things that we just touched on before was what, what, what will the investigation look like if that's the path that you're going down? And, and the, I guess the two major streams, the two major options are either whether it's going to be an internal investigation, so, you know, conducted internally, um, or whether or not um, the employer might engage an external party um, to carry out or otherwise manage the investigation. And I guess there are, there are pros and cons um, with, with both options. Um, on, the, on the internal investigation option, I guess the, the benefits of that is that um, the the parties involved? So the internal investigator, they might be, you know, the HR manager or another you know, senior person in the organisation. They will have an existing knowledge of the business. They they sort of know the ins and outs. They know the people firsthand. So that could lend itself to a more efficient process. It's you would expect it's a generally a, a quicker process. Uh, witnesses might be more comfortable speaking to people that they already know. They might have that sort of inbuilt trust. Um, but on the other hand, on the flip side of that same coin, there may be an, an inherent distrust, you know, with um, someone who's uh, investigating internally. There might be a perception of bias that they bring to the investigation. And, That's and right, I, yeah. I, yeah, look, and I'm sure you've seen it as well. I've seen it recently in a, in a matter that um, 
there was inherent distrust of the HR function at, at, at the particular employer. So it was almost no choice but to go externally if the sort of integrity of the investigation was to, was to be maintained. And I suppose if you're aware of those issues at the start, then you need to take those into account in determining what kind of process is appropriate. Yeah, absolutely. And then that, I guess, leads you to the other option, which is that uh, you could go the external investigation route. And I guess that usually looks like either uh, directly engaging uh, an investigator. So as the employer, you reach out to an investigator and, and they come in as, a, as an external party to, to carry out the investigation. Um, that could be a law firm like us. Um, but the other option as well is um, to, I guess, extend that, that reach and to um, speak to your lawyers um, who will then themselves engage the investigator separately um, to come in and carry out the investigation. Now, the, the key sort of principle underpinning a decision like that is to determine whether or not asserting legal professional privilege is something that's going to be relevant for the employer in, in that particular case. And if privilege is something that the employer wants to consider, then, then the way to do that is to go down that route of engaging your lawyers who then on engage um, the investigator. Now, the way that that works and what that actually means is that the purpose of the investigation, which is carried out by that investigator, is to enable your lawyers to provide you with legal advice. And so the principle is that any documents produced or, or material that flows from that investigation, so whether it's notes, you know, advices, reports that are produced, if the, if the purpose for the production of all those documents and material is to enable the, the lawyers to provide legal advice to the employer, then the employer will be able to assert legal professional privilege over that uh, material or communication. So then that way it's, it's protected um, and it's not otherwise disclosed to, to, to any parties, including the participants um, to the investigation. And look, that's that's something that, again, should be considered on a case-by-case -case basis and, and sometimes it will have much more of a benefit or a strategic value than, than others. But I think certainly it's something that needs to be considered from the outset because it can have a lot of implications um, down the track. That's right. And the other thing I think that it's important to remember is that if you are going to be using legal professional privilege to get that um, advice about not inadvertently waiving it, which is actually quite easy to do. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's certainly something that, that, that um, employers need to be aware of because it can be a bit of a tricky thing. Yeah. So I guess the other thing too, um, now we've spoken about why you might want to investigate and the sort of initial things that you want to think about, moving into the actual investigation phase and sort of best practice, one yeah. of the things that I, I think is hugely helpful is having a really comprehensive investigation plan because poorly yeah. conducted investigations create their own risks of liability. So making sure that you've got meeting those overarching objectives of making sure that the investigation, whether it's internal or whether it's done externally, is thorough, impartial and procedurally fair because I think, Chris, you and I have both seen many cases go through the courts where... Yeah employers get unstuck because one of those hasn't been dealt with properly. Oh, absolutely. And, um, and yeah, it goes back to 
planning it from the outset and whether or not that's determining the, t the terms of reference or the, you know, the scope of the investigation, you know, what questions are going to be asked so you know what answers to, to expect, you know, not, not the answers themselves, but what information are you, are you wanting to glean from the investigation so that everyone's on the same page about what the outcomes could potentially be. Like you say, you can, you can often get into trouble where the participants expect that the investigation is going to find, going to, going to be looking into certain things, but in fact, it looks into other things or, um, you know, certain things aren't even asked or, or, or answered. So you need to have everyone on the same page. And, and the most important thing, as you say, Katie, is that for the, the employer to be clear about what it's wanting to get out of the investigation process and where, where it will land um, so, that, um, so that it can plan accordingly. I think that's probably, Chris, in my experience, it's the biggest bugbear of employers where they yeah. have done an investigation, whether it's, yeah. um, you know, someone has done it internally or they've gotten somebody externally to do it, um, mm. and there's a report, and the report itself doesn't answer the questions that the employer had at the start, or alternatively, it gives you answers, but it doesn't show you how the investigator arrived at the, at the findings that yes. they arrived at. And yeah, so that's right. It really brings about this ambiguity and it causes real problems for the employer because if they're seeking to rely on the findings of the investigation report, there might mm. be some real questions raised about whether or not um, any decision they make will be valid because of that. Oh, totally. And I've seen that I've seen that a few times like like you say, you know, outcomes without any reasons as to why they were landed. And of course, you know, sometimes that can be a tricky thing. You know, you look at these, this question about, you know, balance of probabilities and those sorts of questions. But at the end of the day, you need to know the basis for a decision, because if you're going to be relying on that or making a decision down the track, you need it to be a defensible one. That's correct. And I think um, in terms of the granularity of, of preparing a plan, obviously mm. we can't go through all of the elements during this podcast, but there are things like, you know, who are you going to be speaking to for the purpose of the investigation? Where are you going to interview these people? Are you going to give them a support person? How are the interviews going to be recorded? You know, if, mm -hmm. you've, got, if you've got a complaint that involves two people working in the same office, are you going to be keeping them working in the same place? Are you going to separate them? Is one of them yeah. being stood down? Are you nominating a key contact point for the purpose of the investigation? All of these sorts of things really need to be thought about at the front of the investigation process. And so I think in terms of best practice, the sort of three key things I would say would be keeping communication lines open. If nothing else, the investigation process is incredibly stressful for all of the people concerned. Um, and so having a contact point that people can go to um, to get clarity on timing um, is, is really important and so that they understand what the process is going to look like for them. I think it's also really important to address issues of delay in my experience, this is probably, you know, just compounding to the stress. And this is really where people, you know, start producing doctor certificates. You see workers' comp claims, et cetera. Um, yeah. And if you start the communication piece early and you do it properly, I think you can significantly mitigate the risk of that. I mean, you won't always be able to reduce every risk, but certainly putting yourself in the shoes of the person who's in receipt of the complaint. If they're spending weeks slash months on end sitting around waiting for an outcome, um, yeah. you could imagine that that would be incredibly stressful and in, in the same way that it would be for the person who made the complaint and is not seeing a resolution. Oh, I couldn't um, agree more. Yeah. And I think if, there, if there's one sort of characteristic that you see arise almost every time in an investigation is that, you know, it almost in, inevitably 
lasts longer or takes longer than initially expected. And there are lots of reasons for that, but timing is, 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 is oftentimes a major issue. Um, and I think that, like you say, you know, the, the biggest sort of cure or, or the, the best way to try and address that is just to continue to have open communication, keep, uh, keep everyone updated, um, because you know, the last thing that you want uh, are additional issues arising that compound the issues that are already being investigated. Yeah. And I guess from a, from a, you know, in terms of the amount of time it takes to undertake an investigation, it's perfectly normal. Um, and I think in my experience, something that happens quite often where there may be a little bit of toing and froing with the person who made the complaint yeah. to understand yep. exactly what their grievance is, because it's really important to understand exactly what the concerns are so that they can be put to the person who is the subject of the complaint. And you can understand why that's the case. I mean, mm. if you're coming to me and saying, you know, Katie, there's been an, a complaint made against you and here are the issues. I, as the person responding to it, would like to have the specifics. I'd like the granular detail so that I can meaningfully respond. Okay, so it's yeah. alleged that I've done this. When was it? Who was there? What was said? Those are the sorts of details that, um, you know, are required. And from a procedural fairness perspective, um, the courts really expect that, that those details will be provided. So yeah. um, that's definitely key. And, and sometimes that contributes to the delay allowing people the opportunity to think about the allegations and giving them a chance to respond, a meaningful chance to respond. That's yeah. not always going to be the reason for the delay, but, you know, invariably people say, I need a little bit more time. Mm. But, but I... if, that, if that is the reason for the delay, it's well worth it, I think is the takeaway message there because, you know, you want that foundation from the start. Otherwise, you know, the, the, the whole integrity of the, uh, the investigation or, or its value may sort of crumble if, if you don't have all those things in order at the start. Absolutely. And one of the, and, and going back to the communication point, if that is in fact what is happening, there is mm. no reason why you can't go back to the person who made the complaint and say, hey, this is mm. where we're up to. This is what we're mm. doing and this is what the timing looks like. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, I'd completely agree with that. And the last tip that I have um, in the planning phase for an investigation is to um, anticipate upfront that it's going to be an incredibly stressful process for everybody who's involved, whether it's yeah. the person who's made the complaint or the person who's subject to the complaint, other people who are being interviewed. And so offer that EAP um, or, or similar support early uh, yeah. because yeah. because it is it is no matter which way you cut it, nobody wants to be part of an investigation process. It's a necessary evil sometimes, um, yeah. but it is it is still stressful nonetheless. So it's just something to be mindful of at the start. And yeah, no, I think that that's that's absolutely right. And I think that that is a good place to leave it for today, Katie. Thank you so much for um, speaking with me today. I think that was a great topic and um, certainly a lot to talk about. I think we yes. covered the, 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 the headline issues, but certainly um, a lot to think about. And um, hopefully if employers end up um, in these situations, um, they give us a call um, or, or take um, advantage of some of the tips that we talked about today. Absolutely. Thank you for your time, Chris. Thank you. And thank you to everyone for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. As I say, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to me, Katie, or any member of our wider team. And if you like this episode, please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in to Maddox on the Mic. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to maddox.com.au forward slash podcast to subscribe. If you'd like more information on any of the topics discussed in today's episode, visit the Maddox website, maddox.com.au.